I lent Mikey my phone for 24 hours. I don't need it back. Part of me is like, keep it, Mikey. I will say, I've had lots of messages coming from the computer, which I've applied to. So it's not been entirely a, a Sabbath from the phone. But there's something quite interesting about the amount of things that distract us. So we end up scattered and splayed and distracted and our attention is distorted. Over the next few weeks, I want to look at what does it mean to be on target, to keep on target, to recognize that there are some things that are more important and so often we get distracted by the less important at the expense of the really important. And it's going to be practical. We're going to be looking at how do we make decisions What do we keep our focus on? What adjustments do we need to make? For many of us, we stray unknowingly. We get distracted. I'll give you an analogy and an example. Uh, On my computer, I intentionally grouped the websites that distract the YouTubes and the social media, and I've put them in a separate box on the task, on, on, on the toolbar at the top, and the box is called distraction. So I have to, I knowingly am reminding myself that by looking for this, I am pursuing a distraction. This is a silly analogy. It's working for me. Because at the times when you're bored and you just stray because the thing you're doing is not much fun, so you stray and just look at something else. I have to remind myself that by doing so, I am being distracted. So we're going to get practical, but we're going to look through this text, Colossians, uh, and why it's important. And I believe it's really important to us. As an introduction, I want to start quoting Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 28. We'll put this on the screen. This is a short, familiar passage that's an introduction. It's important. Jesus said this to his followers. And I'm guessing his followers were busy and distracted and had homes to keep and, you know, mouths to feed and all the things that you and I have got. And Jesus said this, come to me, because it always starts in him, all who are weary and heavy burdened, which is most of us from time to time, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart And you will find rest for your souls. This verse can be broken into two halves. Verse 28, Jesus is saying, I know you're busy and scattered and you keep forgetting things. And sometimes you don't sleep well and you walk into rooms. You don't know why you went in there. I know that happens. Come to me and find rest. But Jesus isn't just talking about rest in the sense of escaping from work. He's also talking about work. In the next passage... In the next verse, in verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke was something that a farm animal used to plow a field. This is work. Jesus is saying, I want to show you how to rest, and I want to show you how to work. This is not just about an extended vacation that never ends. He wants to show us how we can be present and know peace, but also how we can be effective and fruitful in our activity. It is not the absence of activity. So, what does it mean to keep on target? Let me give you two comical analogies. Both are entirely true. Another distraction analogy. I had a few weeks off. We went to visit uh, family, and we were away for an extended time, about two and a half weeks. I averaged somewhere between, we'll call it 20 emails a day, just come in. Sometimes less, sometimes more. I'm away for two and a half weeks, 150, something like that. Now, when you've had a trip and you come back, if you've kept your computer off because you want to be present in your trip away, it feels quite punishing. It's almost like this will get you back for taking time off. And there's all these emails. And somebody said to me, and it was, and I still don't know where I land between something between brutal and or brilliant. He said this to me. He said, highlight them all, delete them all, and wait for the important ones to come back. I don't know. I'll tell you another analogy. Sarah and I used to do some mystery dining where we'd go to a restaurant without them knowing. This is part of the whole hospitality industry and research. And we would eat and then write a report and a review for the business. And we would get the free meal. And 
you know, there is such a thing as a free lunch, apparently. Here's the temptation that I often would fall into. As part of this, if they offered you extras and side dishes, you were meant to say yes to see how good they are at selling up, selling the extras, recommending, well, I'd recommend this would go with this and this would go with this. So you would nod a lot and you would end up with a table full of food. Sometimes I would fill up on the side dishes at the expense of the main dish. And I think that analogy probably is sufficient for the whole series that we're going to come up with over the next few weeks. May we not make the mistake of filling up on the edges and miss the really important things. It's easily done. Sometimes the bits on the edges taste really good. Sometimes those you know, other social media apps and things, they're kind of fun. But sometimes it's at the expense of the main thing. So may we keep on target May we know the rest that Jesus promises us and the fruitfulness of activity and work because that's a promise too. May we keep on target. We are diving into Colossians, which is a letter towards the back, the back of the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians 1. May I encourage you to read it over the next few weeks. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. We're going to look at a a section, a portion of the chapter each week, and we're going to expand on it. Uh, This is a dense book. There's a lot going on, possibly too much at times. It's hard to think, what do we look at and what do we not look at, which is why I'm saying do some study yourself, read through this. Just an introduction to the book, the reason, the author, the why. It's written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was somebody who did not make it, was a terrible candidate to be used by God, and was redeemed by God in a profound way, and it changed his life. So Paul, he's older, he's probably in prison. He's written to churches that were semi, in this context, semi-established, but suffering from challenging times. Some of this, you'll see how this relates to the world and the church today. Semi-established, but suffering challenging times. In the context, there was considerable influence and loud worldviews and opinion that was shaping and detracting from the church. In the church, people were distracted. They were increasingly not on target. They were missing the main thing, which is Jesus, the center of their faith. For those of you that really want to get into the nitty-gritty of the text and the historical context, There was a strong sense of ceremonialism where there were religious rules and order that was bringing more restraint than life. It was never meant to do that. And in the culture, the growth of the idea that that there are many gods and many ways to God, and if you'll just be good and if you do this and attend this, we'll all be okay in the end. He's bringing a clarity that says, no, 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 no. The good news is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And at a time where there is a dilution and depreciation of the power and the finished work of Jesus, that's being returned to the center stage. The modern worldviews and the popular opinions were reshaping the Christian faith then, and I would say they continue to do so today. And they're not meant to. So the challenge is both historical but yet profoundly timely to us today. Because many of these things we see and we feel all around us, and if we're not careful, we can stray and be diluted and be on the edges and miss the important things. So that's why we're looking at Colossians. And today we're going to be looking at how to make decisions and keep on focus and what really matters after everything else is done. So Colossians 1. Verse 9 to 13 is the section I'm looking at. Today I'm going to read it. It's going to appear on the screen behind me. And we're going to look at different elements of this. And may I encourage you to... In fact, I'm going to pray before I read this. My hope is not that we would be informed. But my hope is that the scriptures and the spirit of God would change us and would lead us into his presence in better, fuller ways. At times would examine and unpick us, and at other times would refresh and recharge us. So 
I'm going to pray before we read and let's go. Father, we come to this ancient text aware of its timely wisdom. Lord, we come with the best and the worst of us and we say, by the power of your spirit and the clarity of your word, speak to us, not just so that we would know more than we knew before, but so that we would be changed into your likeness. Thank you, Father. There is no test for this invitation because we all would have failed it on the way in. But you invite all of us to know you, to follow you. Lord, as we begin this series, as we begin this exploration of this book, Lord, may we keep on target. Amen. Colossians 1, verse 9 to 13 says this for this reason since the day we heard about you we have not stopped praying for you we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. I could keep reading. It's all good. Keep reading yourself. Let's put this PowerPoint on the screen. I want to tell you where, where I'm aiming today in this passage. This PowerPoint, the opening screen, will tell you the elements that I feel are important for us. This passage talks about knowing God's will. This talks about living well and bearing fruit. And this passage talks about endurance and patience. I want to look at these attributes. These are the things that I want us to aim for and say, God, help me. We need these. So, it begins. The prayer is that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will through wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. This text was originally written in the Greek language and then later translated to the English. In the Greek, the verb fill is passive, that you may be filled. The New Testament continually makes it explicit that God is the one making this possible. Our job is to be the container that says, yes, please. God is the divine filler. This is not about your activity or efforts or how good you've been this week or terrible you've been. It is God's gracious desire that he would fill us. This talks about the understanding and wisdom and spirit. We need the word, the understanding, the study, the scripture, the text, and we need the spirit. We don't choose one and neglect the other. We need them both. The passage goes on that you may live a life worthy of him. And this is the second part of that sentence, which is quite a hard, quite a high bar. And please him in every way. Not just occasionally. But that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. It is the desire of this passage that we will live and not just exist. And sadly, there's times when we can relate with the idea that we're existing and not truly living. And the tragedy is so often we meet people and sometimes it's us and you sleepwalk through life, existing but not really living. The goal would live well and that that's only found in him. And please him in every way. I will tell two stories that are very normal, very ordinary, uh, and present myself to you in a positive light, and then in a less positive light, of pleasing him in every way. 
I remember being taught that what's important is the way you live when nobody is watching, when no one's looking, the things you say when no one can hear you. Does that make sense? You may have had these kind of life lessons, and you nod and go, yeah, because we all know that you should look and sound good when people are around, but when they're not, maybe not so much. True story. I cleaned up in the Levi's post-Christmas cell, ordered a few pairs of jeans for the girls. Thank you for the bargains. They'll keep them for the year. All good. One pair didn't arrive. Uh, So I got this email that said that it had arrived a few days ago. It'd be left on the back deck. It wasn't there. So I called them, listened to whole music for 10 minutes, said, They've not arrived. Got the email, said it arrived two days later. They said, well, so sorry, we'll send you another pair. I said, thank you very much. The next day, uh, the girls were around the back of the house, and they pulled in and said, hey, got a pair of jeans for you. They've got a new pair that they've sent me as a courtesy, and this pair is already here. What do you do? That you would please him in every way. I called Levi's, listened to 10 minutes of home music, and said, I called you two days ago and said that they hadn't arrived uh, and they hadn't but they've since arrived and they've been discovered and you very kindly offered to send me uh, a new pair I don't need those thank you very much lady said well they've already been sent and you can have them as a courtesy please them in every way it's a small subtle test another true story from the same week on Friday, I began to file and bring all my paperwork together for the very complicated thing that you do it here, which is called taxes. And it's complex. It's annoying. I needed to make a phone call to the bank to ask and clarify a question on a certain date. I phoned the bank. I got the whole music with a message that says, your call is important to us. The cynic in me says, really? Is it really? So I put the phone on speakerphone and continued to do something else whilst I listened to this terrible music for 52 minutes and 16 seconds. With the frequent interruption in the 52 minutes of whole music, your call is important to us. I was annoyed. I got this lady, it was a nice lady with a southern accent who, and this is something I've learned as a cultural observation, she's moving at a slower pace than me. And I've already had 52 minutes and 16 seconds of home music, and I'm annoyed. I want quick clarity, action, and resolution. And that was present in my tone uh, and in the choice of words. Now, my daughter Eden was off school unwell. She was laying on the sofa in the other room. She said, Dad, you are terrible to that lady. She said, Dad, I wouldn't talk to the dog the way you spoke to her. Well, sometimes I don't like the dog that much, so I might do that. Um, And she called me on it, and she was right. So when this passage talks that we would live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him when we don't know that there's someone in the room next door and we're being rude to the person on the phone, this is as practical as it gets. Because you'll all be filing taxes, and you'll probably have to phone the bank, and you will have the whole music too. And you may get a free pair of jeans, but you may not. But this is life. And this mystery of Scripture and the filling of the Holy Spirit that's hard to define is both wonderful, but it's as practical as the phone calls that we make and the jeans that we wear. Our faith was never meant to be just so big and mysterious. It's meant to be lived out in the ordinary and in the everyday, which is why this is so real. Moving on. Endurance and patience. I've already told you, I didn't want 52 minutes of whole music, and I didn't want somebody speaking slowly, no matter how charming their accent was. Endurance and patience, this is a challenge. The well-known American inventor Thomas Edison was labeled stupid by his teachers and fired from his first two jobs. He famously invented 1,000 ways to not make the electric light bulb before he succeeded. Most of us would not keep going. But may I say this? If God has planted ideas in you or creative imaginations, if you're an artist or a dreamer or an entrepreneur, 
may I encourage you to not cease and stop easily and early. Because endurance and patience is both a gift and a necessity to the creative work. And then the last part of this passage, and I'm going to introduce a friend to join me in a moment, says this. He has rescued us from the dominion, which means the power of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We were going one way, and he's redeemed us, and we're going a completely different way. In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This word rescue and redemption. When I think of rescue, I think of the classic shipwreck scene where we are in trouble drowning and we've been rescued. We didn't do anything. He did it. Jesus did it. In his love and grace, he offers to rescue us all. And we all need rescuing from time to time. And then the word redemption. This word was a powerful word, and it still is. In the scriptural context, this New Testament writer is writing us aware that for some of the people, they're going to connect with the Jewish story, the Old Testament, the story so far. And redemption for them connects with the story that there was a time where the people were trapped in Egypt, and Egypt in itself isn't a bad place, But at the time, there was this kingdom and this order of the way you had to live. And God, in his grace and his mercy, redeemed the people and said, you don't need to live under that kingdom. There's another way. Jesus later teaches about the kingdom, of which you can't have the kingdom without having a king, and Jesus is the king. So this word redemption is loaded with so much scriptural meaning. That God wants to redeem you from one way of living and put you in a completely different context and lens of living. What it also connects with, again, now I'm putting it in a more modern day, is when somebody was a slave and a generous person chose to free them, a word that was often used was redeemed. And a price would be paid to free the person because they were trapped in a system and in a structure that was never the way it was meant to be. It was never right. And somebody pays a price to redeem that person who's stuck and can't get out, and they are now free. And the plan of God is always that we would move from darkness to light and we wouldn't be trapped and that the order of the way the world is actually shaped by God's order and it's his desire that we would be freed and Jesus is the one who pays the price to make that possible. I want to introduce someone to tell their story but before I do, I'll explain something of the context. A few weeks ago, uh, in church, we were singing and worshiping, and I felt God show me a picture. Now, I believe that God speaks, which means the question is, are we going to listen? And I want to encourage us all to listen, aware that from the youngest to the oldest, God speaks, and may we listen. This was a picture, and it was a picture of like an American football shirt, and it had 64 on the back. And I felt God say, this is what this means. The number will connect with someone, and it's God's way of saying, this is for you. And last week, Sally connected with, with this for her, and this week, we're going to hear from someone else. But this is what I felt God was saying. There was a time in your life where, like a young football shirt, there was energy and enthusiasm and light and joy. But life has become tricky, like math equations that don't quite add up. And there's been complications and challenges and it's cost you and you've lost some things. But God wants to restore the joy. God wants to redeem. God wants to rescue. God wants to turn it around. And my friend Jim said, Adam, I think that's for me. And I'd love to share my story. So I'm going to invite Jim to come and share his story. Luke, could you pass him your microphone? 
And Jim's going to share his story, which really connects with the rescued and the redeemed. Jim, take a seat. Why don't we welcome Jim? Thank you. Thank you. Sit down. So the, the vision that Adam had is actually the story of my life. And I've never sat up here in front of anybody before and told anybody this story until a few days ago when I shared it with him. So he had no idea. And I, as soon as that two weeks or, um, ago when you said that, I texted him right away and I told him. So I was good till this morning. This morning I got up. I was nervous about being here today and telling you it's my life story. So now the nervousness is gone. And I'm frightened. <laughs> it's a, there's a lot of people here. And um, my friends and family are watching online um, today. So my story, I was born into the Christian religion. And mom and dad, they took me to church on every Sunday, every week. And first we did Sunday school. Then we did church. And the church was filled with people. And we had um, youth group and a youth minister, and we had a choir, different from what you see today here. And my mom sang in the choir, she was right over here, and they got dressed up in the robes, the traditional uh, style. And we even had a basketball team, we were called the Jets, and we played other churches in the town of Easton where I grew up, and it was exciting and fun. And one of the best memories I have was, um, during school vacation, my parents would bring me to a, a um, camp up in New Hampshire. It was called Camp Fireside. And it was kids from different places, different towns would all come up there. And when, when you drove in, there was um, a recreation hall and a cafeteria on the side and a white church in front towards the left a little bit. And back of that was... Um, the bathrooms and the rest and the showers and off to the left there was the girls cabins and off to the right was the boys cabins they were very simple there was a screen door a cabin bunk beds and one little light in the center no no internet no tv nothing i don't know how we made it through those days but we did <laughs> <laughs> so to the right there was a, a small dirt road that led back to an open area well, we all would have, we would have a big bonfire, and we'd all gather around. There'd be someone with a guitar, and we'd be singing songs, and the youth minister would read stories of the Bible to us, and those were fun days. Across from the camp, there was a, a path that led through the woods, eventually coming out to a dirt road, and a short walk down the dirt road would come to a, uh, a lake. Well, I, as a kid, I learned how to swim, and we got to go canoeing. And there was also a small campfire we had on the side of the lake. And again, the youth minister would, would read stories to the Bible to us. And at the end, I, can, I can't see his face, but I can hear his voice. He was very soft-spoken. He would always invite us to ask Jesus into our life. And I think I was probably about 14 when I did that, I stood up and I, I did the exact same thing. I asked Jesus to come into my life. And I'll never forget that day. It's, it's still with me. So as I grew older, I, um, I stopped going to church. Sounds familiar. Um, things changed. And I never f stopped believing in God, but I stopped um, following. And uh, I still would pray, f talk to him every once in a while. So... Life got, um, I kind of kept going, and life, I got older, I couldn't stop that. And around 2012, I, um, I started becoming ill. I started getting sick. And to me, normally, I just, just I stopped, I keep going, and it wouldn't bother me. But this, something happened with this that kept bothering me. So I went to see a doctor, and he he told me, you know, he did a few tests and sent me to a cardiologist, referred me to a cardiologist to find out what was wrong. And he did a test that was called an echocardiogram. Um, you know, that tells you 
how your, shows you what your heart is looking like and tells you how it works. So I did a follow-up with him, and he said to me, um, Jim, your heart is big. And I said, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> when a cardiologist tells you that, it's not a good thing. So um, an echocardiogram shows how much blood is pumping out of your heart, and, and the well, normal was 55, and mine was down to 30. So to make a long story short, he started giving me some medications and some pills to hopefully improve my heart function or stabilize it, and it didn't work. And we kept adding more pills, sending me home, and things got worse. So in July of um, 2013, I was so sick, I could barely stand up. I went, I drove myself over to the emergency room. Well, actually, I went to my primary care, and he told me, Jim, you go to the emergency room. I said, okay. And I went over there, I drove myself over there because I didn't want to bother anybody. So when I got there, they did the same thing. They went and called my cardiologist. I think, I, I don't remember, but I think they, um, I stayed the night. So they gave me more pills and they sent me home again. We're not getting anywhere with this. So a week later, I couldn't lay down. And every time I laid down, I stopped breathing. And there was blood coming out of my mouth. So I didn't want to bother anybody, so I drove myself to the emergency room again. And I'll never forget, the lady, she um, said to me, she goes, well, I explained what, I, what was going on to her. And she said, you're going to you earn yourself a room for the night. You can take a seat in the waiting room. And I said to myself, as I turned around, I said, I'm going to die here. This is, lady doesn't care. And um, a short time later, someone came and got me. And I don't remember much of what went on there because it was um, so long ago and I was probably, they put me to sleep or something, I don't know. But I remember going to this big machine. It was a CAT scan. I never had one before. I'd never been in a hospital before. So the, they did the echo again. My heart was, I didn't find this out till later, but my heart was only pumping out 12%. And I had blood clots all through my body. And I was dying. I, there was nothing they could do to fix me. It was, the next thing I know, I woke up. I was in Boston at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. And they did, they, they came in, they asked me, they were all dressed in the white suits. I, I woke up, I was in a cold room where everything was white. I had wires and tubes all over me and these beeping, flashing noises and it was crazy. And uh, so eventually they came in and they talked to me and they, one of the questions, they asked me all sorts of questions. One of the questions they asked me is, do you want to live? And I said, well, yeah. I was only 49 at the time. I thought it was a dumb question, but I guess it wasn't because a lot of people don't. They want to give up. And I wasn't that person. So they came up with a plan. The only way they could, my heart was, was gone. It wouldn't, you couldn't fix it. So the only thing they could do is they have um, what they call a heart pump. That's the short version of the name for it, but I had to have that one of those installed. And what it was was a pump that was installed in, internally, and it did the job that my heart couldn't do anymore. So then I had a wire that came out called a drive line to a controller, which controlled this thing, and, and batteries. That that's how I had to live on if I wanted to stay alive. So I said, I agreed to this, and after two and a half months of being in a hospital, I was coming home for the first time. I weighed 135 pounds, and it was crazy. So all this time, um, friends and family and people I didn't know, they were praying for me to survive this major surgery, and I, um, I didn't. So a year and a half later, this heart pump develops a blood clot in it. So I'm like, oh, no, here we go again. So I went in, and they tried to fix it with medication, they couldn't do it. So the only thing I can do, because my insurance wouldn't pay for another one, is um, the people at the Brigham's were so, they're hard working. If they know you want to live, they can do everything they can for you. So they had these devices come from Europe, and they had a new one that was experimental. So. They did everything they can. They talked to the manufacturers, the FDA, the insurance companies, all the 
the top doctors at the Brigham's, and they all came to agreement, and they all accepted it, and they said, okay, we'll do this. So I, here we go again. I had another major surgery, and I survived that. I was home in probably a month. The difference between that one and the ones before was I was put on a heart transplant list. So I, qual I qualified for um, a transplant. But chances of getting one were pretty much zero because I was at the bottom of the list, and there were so many people that needed one more than I did because I was functioning properly. So time went on, and that wire, excuse me, that wire that um, was coming through, they had it was an open wound at all times, and I had to keep it clean and covered at all times. And they said, whatever you do, don't get it infected. I said, okay, so two years later, of course, I get it infected. That's my luck. <laughs> so what that did is they can't fix it. The only thing they can do is they will put me on antibiotics to keep it from spreading, but they would have had to take the whole thing out again, which, of course, my insurance company wouldn't pay. So what that did is it put me on the top of the transplant list. And I'm like, well, okay. So remember Dr. Gibbets, he was... Um, one of the head doctors there, he said, Jim, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what time it is, if your phone rings, answer it. I said, probably about within a year's time, you'll have one. I said, okay. So I like to play pool. And there was a place called the Sticks and Stones where I played pool. And I was fortunate I was at the very front. Uh, it was loud in there, so sometimes you don't hear your phone. But I was at the front, and my phone rang. And I ran outside, and yes, it was Dr. Givitz, and he said, Jim, we found a heart for you. And I said, okay. And I was kind of speechless, so he took over the conversation, and we chatted for a bit. And um, the last thing he said to me was, you've got to get into the hospital tonight or first thing in the morning at the latest. And I said, okay. So I went in, none of my, tool, none of my teammates knew what was going on with me. So I finally I told them, they all went, wow, that's crazy. I said, you think so? <laughs> so I did, I got in, I went home, did what I had to do, called who I had to call, got in there that night, and I was greeted by a Dr. Stewart. He was a really nice guy. He was all excited for me, and he just um, we chatted a bit, and the next night they came down and got me, and they, uh, put me out, and I remember the last thing was putting a mask on my face, and they said, don't worry, Jim, you're going to wake up a new man, we got, we got you covered. So next thing I know, I hear my voice, my name, Jim, Mr. Sullivan, they always call me Mr. Sullivan, so Mr. Sullivan, and I woke up, and someone was washing out my face, and I heard in the background saying, we didn't do the surgery, we didn't do the surgery. So if I found out later that um, the, um, when they do a transplant of any kind, they have a donor, and they, they test this person for everything to make sure it's safe, then they call a recipient, there's doctors and teams of doctors from all different places that are looking for different things, and the last thing they do is a visual inspection, and they found cancer in the back of the liver, so they canceled everything, so it was, it was gone, it was done, and Dr. Stewart, he was all bummed out, uh, more than me, I think. So, and within another three months' time, I got another phone call, and I had a heart transplant successful at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. It was, it was all, it was all kind of crazy. That was the crazy part of my story. The amazing part is when I, you know, I've been living five years with a machine, and I wasn't anymore. And... When you're in a hospital for so long, as I was, um, you have these questions. And you, you, you know, it's not just they, they're around and they bother you and they wake you up and they tell you to go to sleep. And um, You get a lot of time to think. So two questions I kept asking myself is, why me? Why am I still here? Um, and I just kept asking God that same question. And what do you want me to do? So I didn't get any answers. I didn't hear anything, no one talked to me, no signs, no nothing for the longest time. And I went, so I went back to my life and um, I went back to work eventually. 
and started playing pool again. And one day, this man walked and he wanted to join the pool team. And uh, he was a nice guy, um, well-spoken. Um, so we, we welcomed to the team. And within a couple of weeks later, he asked me, he says, Jim, do you go to church? And I said, yes. That was, that was a lie. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure you forget who this is now. But um, a couple of weeks later, Adam has asked us to, our, our whole team, to join him in a, his church. I think it was Christmas at the time. And I, I have an obligation to my mom and dad. They, my dad wasn't driving. My mom never drove. So I would always take them to church and go back home, cook Sunday dinner, and pick them up. So then this pandemic came about, and everything, as you know, closed. Even churches, everything closed. So I um, started watching on Facebook um, Adam speaking, because he always invited me to. And I started listening. I started learning. Um, he encouraged me to do the Alpha course. I was a little hesitant, and he was a little more persistent. And, <laughs> and I did, and I'm glad I did, because I met some great people there, and I learned a lot there. So slowly, as I listened and I learned, and the pieces of the puzzle started to come together, and I started to visualize the picture of what was those questions that I kept asking myself was, why me, Lord? Why am I still here? And the reason is because he wanted me back in his life. I had left as a child, I was there and I left and he wanted me back. Um, and what do you want me to do? And he wanted me to tell you the story. That's why I had to come and, and do that today. As crazy as it was. What year were you born? Huh? What year were you born? So all this that happened and, and there's too many things that the coincidence no. There was so many things that told me that something really great was happening. So I just celebrated my 58th birthday. I was born January 21st, 1964. Just the 64, as he saw right there. So um, I know where I need to be now, and I know what I want to do. Thank you for listening. Rescued, restored, redeemed. Ah. I want to pray. We're going to go back to that PowerPoint with these, the will of God, the patience, endurance. I want to pray for some people. God still is in the business of changing lives. And I love that. And he invites us to be part of it. To join the story that he's telling. Oh, I don't want to live any other way. I want to pray for some people and then we're going to... Uh, I, I, God wants to, to do things. And I always want to make space for that. So I want you to respond where you are. And we may pray at the front as well, but... Knowledge of God's will. The passage spoke about knowing. Not just guessing, but knowing. If you've got some decisions, if you, are, if you need to know, God, what are you saying to me? You may be at a junction in your life. There may be a change. It may be that you just need to hear his voice. Put your hand in the air. Well, I'm going to pray for you. In fact, what I'm going to do, and I don't like to make people feel uncomfortable, but please stand. And if you're near someone that's standing, pray for them. Now, we have a prayer team, and that's good, but every single one of us can hear from God and can pray to God, and he welcomes your prayers. You don't need to do my job for God to listen to your prayers. He listens to all of our prayers. So if you're near someone that's standing, let's just uh, raise a hand toward them, and, and if they're comfortable, by all means say, hey, can I just put a hand on your shoulder and pray for you? And prayer team and board and anyone else that... that 
can and wants to move around, we're going to move around. We're going to pray for people. This is, this is all of us. All of us need to learn these things. So we're going to pray for these different categories. So let's pray for the people that need to know God's will. And if you're standing, just close your eyes and just say, God, I want to hear. Lord, I pray as this passage teaches us, Lord, that we would know your will. Thank you, Father, that you are not a God that is distant. That you're, whilst you're beyond our understanding, <coughs> you are also a God that can be known. Lord, I pray for those people that are asking for the knowledge of your will, Lord, that they would know you, that they would know your closeness, that they would know what you're saying and doing and showing them, and with confidence they would step in the direction, not just be informed, but that it would move them. Lord, may the voice of God move us. Not just inform us. And then I want to pray for the next group. And if you're being prayed for in the first group, stay standing, whatever you want to do, it's fine. Living well, bearing fruit. The tree doesn't decide, I will make apples appear. It's how it's rooted in the soil and in the nutrients and the fruit just happens. It's God's desire that you would bear fruit. If there's some of you, and maybe you're not as fruitful as you'd like to be. Maybe you're like the tree that's saying, come on, apples, come out. It doesn't work like that. I want to pray for fruitfulness. It may be in a business, or it may be in an idea, or it could be anything. If you would be like, God, I'm like the tree that's not got a lot of fruit, and I want to be more fruitful, then please stand, and we're going to pray a blessing. We're going to pray fruitfulness. And again, prayer team or board or, or friends or anyone that's comfortable to pray, let's pray for those that we see. Thank you, Lord, that it's your desire that we would come to you and rest, but that we would also embrace the yoke that leads to a fruitful activities. Lord, I pray for those that are saying, I'd like to be more fruitful. Lord, bless the roots of, of them. Lord, may they be well rooted and well nourished. May they be well fed. Lord, we're aware that fruit is a byproduct of health. Lord, bless them with health. Their ideas, their business aspirations. Lord, may they... May they flourish. And may they be fruitful. And then this last group in this passage, endurance and patience. Some of you have endured a long time and you're saying, God, are you serious? Are we still waiting? Endurance and patience. Stand up if this is you. endurance and patience and again let's pray move around the room pray for people that you see we are a family church is a community we pray for each other we celebrate and we mourn at times with each other it's family endurance and patience God this is one of those lessons that we rarely welcome but one of the paths that we often walk pray that you give grace to those who are enduring. Lord, I pray that you give them the gift of patience and that you sit alongside them in their waiting. Lord, may they not endure alone, but Lord, may they know the grace of Jesus and the presence of your Holy Spirit as they endure patient Lord I always want to pray that they would get to the other side of this but Lord I pray that you meet them 
in the process. And I pray that you meet them at this moment, at this point of the path. Amen. And then keep your eyes closed. And this is, this is lastly, but this is perhaps most importantly, the story of being redeemed from darkness to light. Jim's story of knowing Jesus and then life chewing things up. We've all strayed. We've all fallen short. We've all messed up. None of us are exempt. And God in his goodness reveals himself to people like Jim and you and me and says, there's a different way, there's a better way and it leads to hope. And it's only found in Jesus. If you feel like you're living more in darkness than in light or that you're burdened by the challenges and the mistakes that you've made. Jesus wants to offer himself to you to save you, to forgive you, and to cleanse you. And it's as simple as saying, Jesus, please forgive me. Please cleanse me. Let's start over. Let's start better. I invite you to rescue me and redeem me and heal me. Please come in and do this now. If you're praying that prayer or a prayer similar to that for either the first time or like Jim 40 years later, again, just put your hand in the air. I want to pray a blessing on you. And if you're joining us online and you're praying this prayer. Just write in the comments, just just write Jesus. That is all and everything you ever need to say. Jesus. Lord, thank you that you rescue us, that you redeem us, and that when we're going in one direction, you turn it around into a different direction. Lord, we receive your gift afresh. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing a song that feels like a fitting uh, devotion, I guess, or, or re-devoting ourselves. Before we do, when before I came up, I thought, God, speak to me about a few people. I'm just going to say this and not necessarily do anything with it other than ask you to do something with it. Is Kevin Grant still here? around Kevin I felt I felt that that, that God is re-beginning something I felt that God was restarting and it wasn't a restart that returns to what was but it was a new fresh beginning and there was an energy that I'd not seen and I felt that there was an energy that you'd not felt for a while an energy that you know sometimes there's previous times and younger chapters where we feel, hey, we can climb any mountain. There's other times where we look at a small one, we're like, no, I can't do that. And I feel that God is returning and restarting something or some things.